I want to first of all thank last week. Uh, I had a chance to work uh, with the Emmaus Walk and had a great weekend. And Ben Geiger and Nate May uh, preached the chair one message last week. Could you give Ben and Nate a huge hand? Just, you know, awesome. And again, if you were here, you remember they talked about how important it was. They call the CPR that we cultivate, that is preparing the ground for the gospel, that we plant the willingness to plant seeds, and that we are part of the reaping. And that is when you see the light come on in somebody's life and they find Jesus. And it just doesn't get any better than that. It's very similar to a teacher. If you talk to teachers that have been at it for a long time and say, what, what is it that keeps you going? And they always say the same thing. We get a ridiculous high salary. Isn't that what they say? Now, what do they say? It's when you see the light come on and they, they're starting to get it. And you're like, oh yeah, that's why I got into this. And there's nothing like seeing the light of Jesus Christ just come on. Well, that's chair one. But I love this question. This was addressed Years ago, I read this, and I love this because it made me think a lot. Uh, somebody said, what's more important? Evangelism, that's a church word. Evangelism is reaching people for Christ. What's more important, evangelism or discipleship for the church? Is it more important to bring people to Jesus or disciple people in Jesus? Okay, that's a great question. But here was the answer that I love. The guy thought about it for a little bit, and then he said, really, that's like asking what's more important, the right or left wing of an airplane. And it's true. Uh, they're both equally important. We want to bring people to Jesus Christ, but after somebody gives their life to Christ, what does the church do to help them grow in Christ? That would be like literally walking away from a newborn. So I want you to think about this morning, the parallel, the physical and the spiritual parallel, and that's why we have this high chair up here, is we all know, if you've had toddlers, what we put into them to help them grow. It's always the same thing. So I want to share with you a, a picture of my son Caleb, and good times there. Yeah, that was last Thanksgiving. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Caleb's 25 now, and uh, we all, if, if you're a parent or a grandparent, or your friend's kids, or you, you know what that's like. It's really fun, especially when it's not your kid, when they're just, just stuff all over their face, and we take the pictures, and, and it's just a great time. But we know from the time a little one is born that there's a process. There are things that we want to invest in them. For example, we want to teach them how to eat, eventually how to feed yourself. First Peter 2 says, newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That our goal is to take a new believer and to teach them how to feed themselves. Second of all, we want to teach new believers how to walk. First John 2.6 in the New King James Version says, He who says he abides in me ought to himself also walk as he walked. I found this online. I thought this is interesting. Uh, what a job this would be. Uh, they got a bunch of toddlers together, and they started counting how many steps the average toddler waddles in the course of a day. Now, remember, these are literally baby steps, and it's over 14,000 steps, the toddler. How many of you would agree that it's over 14,000? Anyone? Yeah, if you've got a toddler, like, don't know what that guy's drinking, but it's more than 14,000, okay? But here's the kicker. They also counted how many times they fell. An average of 100 times they fell. And that's what I love about toddlers. They get up, and they fall, they get up, and they fall, and eventually they start walking, and then they start running, and then you really can't wait till they go to college. I mean, we go through that process as parents, but we love the process. And then we want to teach little ones how to talk. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious, but in every situation, pray, talking to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I love, I still remember the prayers. Uh, we have three children, and uh, their prayers were just priceless. And so I love this. I found this. This is a Sunday school class, and they asked the kids to write out in a sentence a little letter to God. So these are prayers from little kids, and I love this. Here's the first one. This is from Joyce. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy. That's, that's... Um, Mickey wrote this one. Uh, this is so sweet. Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. That's a cute one. Here's my favorite one. This kid's got issues. Uh, this is Angelina. Dear God, Mom says that all babies cry, but I don't think baby Jesus did. You must know the answer. So please write back. We have a bet. I don't know what's wrong with that kid. We love to see kids grow. But you know, the other thing we love to do with kids, we love to teach them how to clean themselves. Eventually, you got to learn how to clean yourself. And again, this is some of my favorite memories. There's just something about bubble baths and kids and giggles and eventually saying, you know, we're going to teach you how to clean yourself. Psalms 51, 9 and 10 says, create in me a clean heart. All of us need that. All of us need to know that every day when we seek forgiveness, forgiveness is right there. That never gets old, but it's a process. Billy Graham said, being a Christian is more than just instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more like Jesus. So that's what tomorrow, this morning is all about. We're going to see how Jesus modeled his life and his ministry for his disciples. Those words still matter. Follow me. Now, it's interesting when Jesus, and I'm going to use the word recruit, when he recruited those first disciples, there's one thing they all had in common. They were Jewish, and so they were used to the Jewish culture. And when a teacher would ask you to follow him, you know what that meant? That was like a rabbi. That's, that's how they would have looked at Jesus. A great teacher to follow him. It meant, and they had this term, it meant that you would have the dust of the rabbi. And the dust of the rabbi means that you were so close that you were within the shadow of the rabbi. It meant that for a season, you would uh, do everything with the rabbi. You would share meals. You would study how the rabbi prayed. You would study how he treated his family. You would study how he treated the poor. And to me, that is one of the scariest things about discipleship. It's your willingness and my willingness to say, I want you to draw close and I want you to do what I do. Isn't that scary? Every parent will tell you that is scary. Uh, all of us have had coaches. Have you ever had a coach that you know knows nothing about what they're talking about? And they'll say something like, do what I say, not what I do. And I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to play for you. You know, you, you want to be with someone that you love to see what they do and how they do it. Now, here's Jesus who said, I'm going to model three things. And if you will just listen to me, but do what I do, your life will never be the same. First of all, Jesus modeled making God's word central in his life and ministry. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now that word, uh, the Greek word is logos. Now here's why that's such a, such a critical word. In Greek mythology, they believed that there was this absolute truth, and it was unreachable. Like humans could not find that 
wisdom. And they believed that it wasn't personal, but you were striving to find this universal truth. So it's no accident that this is the word that John used, because he was saying in John chapter 1, this is the living word, Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. In other words, Jesus put feet on this word. And that matters more than all of us realize in this room. I guarantee you, every one of you have heard this excuse when you've talked to friends or family about going to church. You'll say, would love for you to go to church with me. And you'll hear along the line, I'm not going to church. There's nothing but a room full of hypocrites. Yeah, that's a, that's a great word, and hypocrites. I always like to say, yeah, there's no hypocrites where you work. There's no hypocrites in your family. We're all hypocrites because a hypocrite literally means you're putting on a mask. But this is legitimate. It's when people step back and say, wait a minute, I hear your words, but do your words match your actions? I read this quote the other day, and I thought it was powerful. Churches don't split because they don't know the Bible. Churches split because they don't put the Bible in practice. See, Jesus wasn't just about knowledge. If it was just about knowledge, they would have followed the Pharisees. No, Jesus was about, I want you to read the living word of God, and then I want you to live the word of God. That's for all of us. Are we willing to get into the word, which is important, but then are we willing to put it into motion? Because let's be honest, people misuse scripture all the time. I read about an old-time preacher back in the days where they do, uh, they used to call it cold turkey calling, and that means you just show up at people's house without any appointment. And uh, we don't do that anymore, praise the Lord. Um, but this, this older pastor, there was a, a little old, uh, lady in the church, a little widow, and he was worried about her, and he saw her car in the driveway, so he, he starts knocking on the door, and nothing. Knocks harder, nothing. So he thinks, I'm going to be encouraging. So he takes out a little card, and he <laughs> decides to write a scripture on it. And so he wrote out Revelation 3.10. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If any Todd, it's not that funny yet. Okay. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will eat with that person. So the next day, Sunday morning, she takes the same card, flips it over, writes another scripture on that card, puts it in the offering plate, her scripture was Genesis 3.10. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid. Okay, so <laughs> you, can, you can do anything with scripture. You, and all of us know, and we've been there, where somebody will take a random, out-of-context scripture, and that's why it's important to get into the Word. But after you get into the Word, are you willing to actually do something about it? I was going through thinking about what the Bible says about itself. Think how the Bible describes the Bible. A lamp, a light, a consuming fire, living water, a sword, flawless, pure, powerful, eternal. Jesus knew all of those. And he said, listen, it all starts right here. This is where the sinner is. Take this word and get into this word and then put this word into motion. Your life will be changed and all those around you will be uh, influence because this is the center of your life. The second thing Jesus is, he modeled the priority of prayer in his life and ministry. Only once, only one time do we have the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something. They didn't say, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to heal. That seems to draw a crowd. They didn't say, teach us to lead. That would have been a great question. No, in Luke 11, 1, we have the answer. One day, 
Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? Pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Now, I had never caught that last part till this week. I'd always stopped right after teaches to pray, and I realized, wait a second, they had seen John do the same thing with his disciples. It's one of the greatest lessons we can teach anybody. Teach them to pray. Teach them to just talk to God. Where did Jesus pray? On mountains, in a large city, in small towns, synagogues, in homes, in desolate places. And when did he pray? Wow. Just think about this. At his baptism, when he selected the 12 after he'd been rejected, I call this the big reveal when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? He prayed with compassion for others, the Last Supper in the garden on the cross. He prayed after his resurrection. He prayed a prayer of blessing. Every time you turn around, Jesus was praying. But I want you to write this number down on your bulletins, and it's the number 12. And I want you to think about 12 this week. 12 times, I did some digging here, I found the word withdrew. 12 times Jesus withdrew to pray. He'd pull away from the crowds. He would withdraw from the crowds so that he could reconnect with his heavenly father. Now, here's something in your world, in my world, that I think you can relate to because you all do it. I've seen all you sinners in action here. It's when uh, your phone battery gets down to about three. What do you do? Anything it takes to get it recharged. I mean, I, when you go to an airport, where, do everybody, where are they looking for? The seat that has the charger, you know? And everybody's just, oh, I'm getting down low. Okay, what if we did the exact same thing in our relationship with God? Like, I, I'm in this situation. I just need to unplug for a little bit. I need to recharge. I need to, as Jesus did here, I need to withdraw and reconnect with God. I share with you what some kids had wrote. But here's a prayer that I, I love. Listen to this, Elliot. Listen to what he said. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. I love that. That we're thinking about God all the time. I, I just would love to have watched Jesus. And here he is in this crowd. Imagine all these people, they just are drawing, so they're just hovering over Jesus, getting close. And you know the disciples are thinking, oh, this is great. This is, the, this is the start of the revolution. Look, he's got all these crowds, and all of a sudden he'd be like, I'm out here. You know, he would just disappear. I'm like, what? why does he do that? That's weird. Isn't that weird? I mean, he's always just kind of disappearing. Well, what's he doing? He's reconnecting with the Heavenly Father. God, am I right with this? Lord, I want to feel the people's pain. Lord, help me with everything I do. He just constantly is reconnecting. We all need that. Uh, this Wednesday night in our men's study, we... We start the study with what I call four D's, and that is a, a D that all of us deal with. Well, this week, the D was drain. So the question was, what is draining you? And ladies, i got to be honest, it was you. Okay, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm just joking. Don't clap too loud. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay. But in all honesty, here's what I loved. I loved, I just love to hear the men's heart on, and this is what's taking it out of me right now. And I realize, you know, there's a lot of weeks, and right now, some of you are right here. This has been a draining week. Like, I mean, something has taken all the energy out of you. Like, to get here today was hard. And when you're going through draining times in life, you don't pull away from God. That's when you draw near to God. 
That's when you beg God. Say, God, you know what I'm going through. You know. You know, as Jackson Brown said, I am running on empty. I've got nothing left in the tank. And when we get to that point, we withdraw. We say, God, it's just me and you. It's just me and you. And then last of all, Jesus modeled intentional relationships of love and grace. I love that. John 13, 34 says, love one another as I have loved you. I love to just read how Jesus, he pulls these disciples together. And he's again, he's just wanting them to grow. Follow me. And then where did they follow him? They followed him in some really messy situations. They followed him to people that everybody else considered untouchable and unlovable. He went to the lepers. He went to the prostitutes. He, he, he just go down the list. He said, Jesus just kept reaching out to people that nobody else would reach out to. Everybody rejected them. And yet here's Jesus saying, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Don't get hung up on formulas and numbers. Don't listen to the Pharisees saying, this is what it takes to be holy. No, it's about turning your life over to God and then giving your life back to others. Everyone, children, women, abused, all those folks that are, their lives are so messy, go right into that mess. And then here's the kicker. He went into their mess. I've always said, I would love to hear the conversations around the fire every night. Can't you just hear the disciples just reviewing the day? And they knew Jesus loves me no matter what. He loves me. It's all about building relationships. I heard, and I love this, is many times in life when we say, I don't have time for people, it's not a time management problem. It's a priority management problem. We make time for what we want to do. We all do. Is it hard to invest in other people? Absolutely. But keep in mind, Jesus is always, always pushing us. He doesn't want us to get comfortable. We don't want our kids, any kid, to stay in the high chair. Jesus doesn't want us to stay comfortable. So let me share with you two seven-word sentences that can stifle and make a church too comfortable. So when the church says, first of all, we have always done it that way. You ever been a part of an organization that always does it the same way? And you're like, why can't we change? Oh, you say change. Whoa, problems. You know, a church I was at in Illinois, uh, I think Abraham Lincoln was a deacon there. I mean, it was old. I mean, it had been... And one Sunday, I had the audacity, just for fun, I said, I want everybody to sit in a different pew, and you have to move at least three pews. That did not go over well. You know, they were like, you know, I've been sitting here, you know, Abraham Lincoln, he sat right? You know, I mean, they just, I'm like, no, you got to move. Why? Because we don't like change. None of us really like change. So we can never get caught in a rut saying, we've always done it that way. Or here's one, we tried that before and it failed. Well, guess what? So what? We fail. We make mistakes in life. We don't just give up. And Jesus said, you don't give up on people just because they make mistakes. That's what I love about Jesus. But why did he want his followers to make God's word central in their lives, to pray with priority, to be intentional? Why did he do that? Well, Sean Green this week, he sent me this little video, and he said, hey, John, I can't stop thinking about this video. I really think this describes how Jesus feels about all of us. And we're all disciples. When Jesus modeled this for the disciples, guess what? He's modeling it for us. We're his disciples. So I just want you to, in less than a minute, I want you to see why Jesus 
did this for the disciples and what Jesus thinks about us. Careful, open it up. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? We love you, Okay, that's enough of that. Okay. Um, I want you to think about that. And I thought, that's the love that he has for us. That's why he does that. He doesn't say, I want you to make these a priority in your life because he doesn't love us. He does it because he does love us. Listen to what it tells us in Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Don't you love that? You don't live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to the sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what Abba means? All the tough guys in the room? It means daddy. And when your kids say daddy, what's that do to you? And God said, that's the relationship I want. I just want you to grow to be like my son, because I love you that much.